Good morning, Hillcrest. How are you guys today? Good. It's good to be with you here in person or online if you're worshiping with us. I hope, as my mother used to say, you're feeling bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Um, I, my name is Jessica Fick. I'm the Director of Engagement here at Hillcrest. I've been doing this role since about last February. I'm married to Dave, and my oldest son Ruben is right there, and my youngest son Ozzy is back with the kids. And, uh, you know, during the week, it is a full week of making sure iPads are charged and put in backpacks before school and trombones are put in the car for band practice and Zoom meetings are logged on to and that everybody has clean laundry and I'm training part-time as a real, real estate appraiser and so zooming around the metro, meeting nice dogs and homeowners and uh, all, all those things. So like you, life is pretty full during the course of a normal week. And because of that, I want to describe to you a morning that may not be typical for you, but maybe a morning that you need. So I'm going to invite you at the risk of putting you to sleep to close your eyes for a moment and to picture yourself in the scene. Imagine waking up rested and refreshed in the morning and feeling grateful as you gaze out at the autumn leaves drifting to the ground. You're sipping a hot cup of coffee or tea or cocoa in your favorite mug, and you reflect on what the day holds for you. Maybe you're looking forward to connecting with family or friends, or just having some time alone after a busy week. And rather than feeling that internal stress rising about how much you have to get done, the meetings you have to attend, or practices you have to rush to, you just stop and you sit down at your kitchen table, you take a deep breath, and you feel at peace. Okay, you can open your eyes. If this sounds like a Hallmark movie to you, it's because this is not the reality of where most of us live every morning, right? Doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, if you have kids, if you're retired. Stress isn't just about the stuff on the outside. It's about the stuff on the inside. I want you to think about what your morning was like today or a couple days ago. It's likely, like me, you felt pressure to get the kids out the door, send a quick email before you even jumped into the shower, and you're mentally calculating what you need to cut from your to-do list because there's just not going to be enough time in the day to get everything done. What I described sounds like a fantasy to most of us. And I want to tell you that my goal today with this message is to put you to sleep. I actually am hoping some of you will go and sleep today. <laughs> today, we are talking about God's commands to the Israelites for how he wanted them to relate to him and to one another, the Ten Commandments. We're going to focus on God's command to practice the Sabbath and explore what it means to the Israelites and what it means for us today. At this point in the story, we've seen God invite the Israelites to practice Sabbath, particularly by giving them manna in the wilderness. And Sabbath was an entirely new concept for the Israelites. I think sometimes when we read scripture, we're like, oh, yeah, 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 Sabbath, it's all the things. They did the things. This was totally new for them. So God gave them an object lesson. For you to rest, I'm going to give food from the sky for you to eat and rest. Just enough for the day. Sometimes we need really tangible things like that to see what God promises is real. 
And what could be more tangible than food, right? I mean, you would all be elated if you went home and had like a lovely salad just on your table or a pot roast in the crock pot or other things you like to eat besides salad and crock crock pot roast. (laughs) Sabbath law was a signal to the Israelites and to others of the provision and freedom they experienced because of God's promises to them. A few passages later in Exodus 16, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the commands for the Israelite people. And it's got to be clear to them that something big is happening. Moses tells them to consecrate themselves, to prepare themselves. And they can see thunder and lightning and this cloud covering Mount Sinai. And the whole mountain just trembled violently because the Lord had descended upon it. And then God speaks these words to Moses. And you can look on the screen or in your Bible app or your your Bible. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember, remember, keep the Sabbath holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy." Sometimes when we read scripture, we forget to ask, what did this sound like to the original audience? What did it sound like for them to hear these words? This concept of Sabbath would have sounded so bizarre to them. God starts his commands by saying, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of slavery from Egypt. Now you get to rest. Slaves don't set their own work hours, they don't get lunch breaks. They don't have work-life balance. There's no paid holidays. They're told what to do, when to do it, with the threat of punishment or death. And even though slavery in Egypt was different than what we know about slavery in this country, it still wasn't a great situation. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says this about Sabbath and the Israelites. He says, at the center of this list of policy statements at Sinai stands the regulation of Sabbath, perhaps Israel's most stunning countercultural notion of justice. In this command, Israel broke decisively from the pharaonic system of production and consumption. Israel asserts that rest for self, for neighbor, and even for God is the goal and quintessence of life. Now, this rest is not passivity, but the kind of at-homeness that precludes hostility, competition, avarice, and insecurity. The Sabbath provision of ancient Israel anticipates a community of peace and well-being and joy. 
There could hardly be a bolder refutation of Pharaoh's brick quotas than this Sabbath principle. Let me say that phrase one more time. Rest is the goal and quintessence of life that anticipates a community of peace, well-being, and joy. Woo! That is a bold statement. Rest is the essence of life not just for ourselves, but for our community. It's really difficult to find peace, well-being, and joy when we're bone-tired and irritated with everyone. When it sets you on edge when your husband makes that obnoxious chewing sound at the table that you've told him a bazillion times to stop doing, or your wife leaves her half-drunk coffee cups all around the house and you've told her, can you just put those in the dishwasher? Or your children keep going, mom, 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 mom. Mom, do that for about five more minutes and then you'll remember or realize what it's like when you have young children. God gave us the Sabbath because we are integrated beings. We have bodies and our minds that get tired, that need to be refreshed. This past week, I was feeling really run down. And so I just took a 20-minute walk by myself not because I needed to go anywhere or run an errand or because I needed to work out and burn some calories, but because my soul needed some rest. It was a walk that helped me to slow down and just the, observe the outdoors and take some slow breaths. Today, I want to talk about rest blockers and rest givers. So if Sabbath is intended to be a gift to us, it's really a foreign concept for most of us. We live in a culture where we're more encouraged to hashtag hustle, produce, and get ahead rather than stop. And this, there always feels like one or five or 500 more things that need to get done. Um, I've been in ministry for about 20 years, and I worked with students with InterVarsity early on. And I'd work a 14-hour day, and then I'd end the day by reading a ministry book about mobilizing student leaders or fundraising strategies because I wanted to cram every single moment of my day with learning and being productive. You can imagine what a great night of sleep I had mulling over the problems my students were facing or how I was going to raise thousands of dollars. It was not a great night of sleep. It never was a great night of sleep. So what are some rest blockers in our lives? By rest blockers, I mean both physically, what prevents us from getting sleep, and then what prevents us from experiencing peace and well-being and joy. Well, I researched the most reliable source of data on the internet. I asked my friends on Facebook, and they shared some of these responses. And maybe you can relate to some of these things. The first one that was the most common was to-do lists. Never feeling like you can get enough done during the day. Or just feeling like a failure or bad person if you don't get things done. And just not being able to stop thinking about what you need to do. Everything feels urgent all the time, especially if you have young kids that literally need you to feed them and bathe them. That makes us feel more anxious and stressed and depressed, so it feels even more difficult to rest because the to-do list, as you all know, is a never-ending treadmill. 
Number two, technology. So often, and I, I even did this earlier this week, I told Dave, you know, I am really tired. I'm just going to go upstairs and go to bed. And then do you know what happened? He came up to, to bed 45 minutes later. What are you doing? I thought you said you were so tired. You said you were going to go to sleep. I know, but my friend posted this really interesting article, and there was this cat video that was super cute, and then there was another one that came up in my feed, so I just kept clicking it. I know none of you guys know how that goes when you're laying in bed at night or in the morning. Our phones are literal rest blockers when we're on them until we finally close our eyes. And mentally, if we have notifications on for every email, every text, every sports score that comes up, we are living in a constant state of mental alert. Number three is worry. Many friends said that they're replaying scenarios or problems at work or in relationships that are stressful or complex, or they're just overthinking. Dang it, why did I say that stupid thing to that person? Oh, did I sound really dumb when I spoke up in that meeting? Worry often keeps us up at night, which can lead to an increase in depression, especially for women. The Mayo Clinic explored stressors that can increase a woman's risk of experiencing depression, including unequal power and status because of gender, poverty, and ethnicity, work overload and caring for home responsibilities, as well as work responsibilities, and physical or sexual abuse. It's pretty difficult to feel sleep, to, to sleep or feel peace when you're dealing with real and significant challenges. When I wrote my book, Beautiful Feet, Unleashing Women to Everyday Witness, I actually devoted a whole chapter to rest because it's such a significant issue for us as a culture. Years ago, I read the book um, by Ruth Haley Barton, Invitation to Silence and Solitude. Have any of you guys read Ruth Haley Barton? Yeah, a couple of you guys. Great stuff. She's, she's phenomenal. In fact, we probably have a copy of it out in the library. Well, she has this concept she calls tornado tiredness. Tornado tiredness. Even though I've lived in Kansas for six years, I haven't seen a tornado. When we moved here from Ohio, everyone freaked out because they were like, you're going to die in a tornado. And I was like, we could die in the snow here in Michigan and Cleveland. There's weather everywhere. Well, what about this tornado tiredness in our souls? Dangerous tired is an atmospheric condition of the soul that's volatile and portends the risk of great destruction. It's a chronic inner fatigue accumulating over months and doesn't always manifest itself in physical exhaustion. In fact, it can be masked by excessive activity and compulsive overworking. When we're dangerously tired, we feel out of control, compelled to constant activity. Years ago, when Ozzy was a toddler, we decided to practice Sabbath. And on a beautiful spring day in Cleveland, we laid out a picnic blanket and brought all of our stuff and at one point, he spilled yogurt on the blanket, and I just lost my mind. I mean, a ridiculous overreaction to a very, very small problem. And it was a red flag to me of, oh my goodness, I am tornado tired. <laughs> Those irrational responses we have to someone turning left the wrong way or using a tone of voice. Those are some red flags for us. I want you to stop and reflect for a moment on what a rest blocker is for you. Maybe you saw some of the things on the screen and you thought, yeah, I can relate to that. 
But I want you to take a moment and write it down in your sermon notes or on a piece of paper, just mentally note it. And it could be chronic pain or another health condition that physically prevents you from getting rest. So think about that. What's a rest blocker? On my Facebook thread, one of my friends pointed out that the command of Sabbath is the longest of the Ten Commandments, and it's something that God continues to reiterate to the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And he goes further to talk about how Sabbath laws are meant for the good of the community and the land, not just the individual. Scripture says, For six years you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household, and the foreigner as well may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not be let, let them be heard on your lips. When we're weary it is really difficult to think about other people or systems and structures that are broken and to figure out our role in their restoration. We try to conserve and limit because it just feels like there's never enough for us. Though we don't live in a polytheistic community like the Israelites where one person worships many gods or create idols out of wood or stone, we have our own versions of the gods we worship and that we look to for power. Productivity, self-sufficiency, and status, just to name a few. Jesus said about himself, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to get rid of the Ten Commandments. I came to fulfill them. Jesus rested and is able to give us rest. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus lived, he showed us how to live God's way, but he also made it possible for us to do so. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the death and destruction of a culture that tells us we are only worth what we can produce. He took that death and destruction upon himself. And when God raised him back to life, he gave Jesus the power to restore our relationship with God, with others, with creation, and even our souls. We now have the ability to live a life and community of peace, well-being, and joy because of Jesus. In his fulfillment of the law, he became what we could not because of our sin and brokenness. You know, Jesus didn't heap more laws on us by saying, every day at 1.30, you must take a nap. If you want to be my disciples, you must have 1,200 thread count sheets. Don the ceremonial sleeping mask if you want to worship me. He didn't make any of those demands. He just said, come, come, and I will give you rest. Over these last 18 months, we have all borne really heavy burdens because of the pandemic, the racial injustice and unrest in our society, and the ways our church and even our own families have been fractured. It has taken a toll on us, and nothing we do 
will solve it or fix it. Rest for our souls. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. Today, you might be sitting here feeling soul-weary. You might feel tornado-tired. You might be feeling kind of angry with me right now because you're like, Jessica, you don't know me. You don't know the demands of my life or my schedule. I don't. But Jesus does. And he sees you. You might feel burned out on church or religion. Finding rest starts with Jesus, and he is able to give us what we're longing for. Perhaps today's the day you'll respond to his invitation just to come. Come and invite him to heal you of your brokenness. Restore you from the inside out and say yes to him as the leader of your life who can show you how to rest. When Jesus is the source of our rest, he's able to give us peace that transcends logic or understanding. Years ago, a friend of mine who wasn't a Christian and had been struggling with anger towards God accepted her friend's invitation to church. After years and years of saying, no, 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 that's not my thing. I'm not a religious person. Well, as she sat there listening to the music, she sensed Jesus telling her, let go. You can trust me. Give up your heavy burdens. And when she told me about this as we're standing there in her driveway, we both just started crying. And I started crying because I'd been walking past her house for many years, praying that she would choose to follow Jesus. And she started crying because she finally felt peace that God could lead her life, heal her marriage, and her family. Hillcrest, God wants us to extend peace to the people in our lives who are far from him, who are burned out and soul-weary. God is inviting us to be a community of peace, well-being, and joy in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community. Like anything, rest takes practice and needs to be cultivated. Sadly, our culture tells us a lot of bunk messages about what it means uh, to find rest. It says, buy a scented candle, go golfing with your buddies, crack open a drink. But you can't stop a tornado. You're just going to drink wine and go golfing in the midst of a tornado. Your soul and your mind, they won't be at rest. Some rest givers are actually pretty simple. Sleep, recreation, and connection. Simple, but very often difficult to put into practice. So here are some of the things I've discovered that really help restoration. First one is sleep. Some of y'all really do need to go take a nap today. I almost grabbed a pillow and a blanket and said, these are the discipleship tools the Lord is offering to you today. It is okay to nap. God designed our bodies to rest, and he resets our minds while we do. If you're a young parent, you're probably more tired than you realize. I have a lot of friends who, with young kids, will hire a babysitter so that they can get some sleep or just go out for a leisurely dinner. When our kids were little, Dave and I would trade off so one of us could take a nap and you know, just go out and grab a cup of coffee and sit in some quiet If you're a single parent, you might just want to trade with a friend so that you could take turns watching each other's kids so you can catch up on sleep or go do something restorative. 
If you have a hard time resting because you're thinking about the to-do list or worrying over a situation, I want to encourage you to do something tangible with those things. There's this concept called a, a brain dump where you just write down everything you're thinking about. And there's something about getting the things out of our brains onto paper that does something to help us release control. And if you're not a writer, you know, light a candle or something in your home so that every time you walk past it, you think, oh, okay, this is the sign. This is the sign. Lord, help me to surrender control. You might have a rock that you grab, that you hold in your pocket or kind of just look at. On family vacations, we collect rocks, and we found some really pretty ones on the Atlantic coast a couple years ago. And so as a family on our Sabbath, we would sit and say, okay, in this rock, this represents my worries and concerns and fears. What do I need to trust Jesus with today? Let me tell you, it is fascinating to hear what an eight-year-old needs to put down at the feet of Jesus. You'd be surprised the things your kids or your spouse are concerned about. When we're well-rested, we're more aware of what God's doing in our lives. If you're tired, it's really hard to pay attention and be grateful. Recreation, the second one. The quote from Ruth Haley Barton I shared earlier, tiredness can be masked by excessive activity and compulsive overworking. We're dangerously tired when we feel out of control, compelled to constant activity. Have you ever had that chunk of free time where it feels so weird not to fill it with something? You sit down for 20 minutes or an hour and you're like, oh my gosh, I could rake the yard. I could call this person. I could send a couple quick emails. And a lot of times what we end up doing is just like, I've got free time. Oh crap, there goes that 45 minutes. <laughs> we just fill it with something because it feels so strange. Years ago, when I first saw a spiritual director, she helped me to develop a rest toolkit. We think about tools for a lot of things, but we often don't think about what are tools that help me to rest. And she asked me, Jessica, what are things that help you to rest? And I looked at her like she said, what are ways that help you to water ski on the moon? I had no idea because rest was an entirely foreign concept to me. But over time, I found that reading fiction before going to bed, going for hikes in nature, and baking were things that helped me to slow down from a frenetic pace of life to kind of downshift into something a little bit slower. I am a recreational baker. I was that person who baked all the bread during quarantine. A good place to start is by asking, what are things I want to do, but I never feel like I have time to do? What are those things that you kind of push to the side and say, mm, I can't go to the Nelson Atkins. That's a waste of time to wander a museum. That could be your soul crying and saying, hey, pay attention to me. I'm here. Don't neglect me. The last one is connection. Our technology and to-do lists don't just prevent us from getting sleep. They actually prevent us from meaningful connection with God and with other people. The author Andy Crouch advocates for creating a rhythm of work and rest. The need's urgent for us to be more intentional with our use of technology. And it was really hard writing this message because I was like, oh, Lord, is it I? Oh, I have such a hard time putting my phone down. 
and not checking one more thing. <laughs> he suggests in his book, uh, The TechWise Family, putting down our technology for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, that we turn off our devices to worship and feast and play and rest together. In our family, we've needed to do something physical to signify, hey, today is a day of rest. And so we take our Sabbath from Friday at sundown to Saturday afternoon. Now, this doesn't always work because sometimes we have things to do. But in general, that's the rhythm we try to practice. We make homemade pizza. Dave's got some great recipes if you need them. And then we watch a movie together. We are big fans of the Marvel movies. And then on Saturday, we attempt to put our phones away. Notice I said attempt. <laughs> and then we go outside for an adventure. It is not always a magical adventure. In fact, sometimes there's yelling and there's tears and there is typically protest when we try to get out the door and get people off their devices. There's always a, ah, do we have to go for a hike and kayak every single Saturday? I mean, and that's just from Dave. <laughs> but this is our rhythm and what we've decided as a family. And it's something you as an individual or as a family or as a couple or a single person need to decide for yourselves. Maybe it's a special food that you eat or clothes that you wear. And if Saturday or Sunday doesn't work for you, maybe you can figure out another day. Scripture doesn't say Sabbath has to be on a Saturday or Sunday. Maybe there's a couple hours during the week that you can carve out. Sabbath is a declaration that we will not be enslaved by our to-do lists, our technology, or our worries. It's a choice to say we will worship God by resting and trusting in his power and provision. The thing I love is that God created rest to lead into celebration. When our bodies and minds and spirits are restored, we're able to see the good things, the things worthy of celebration and wonder. In Exodus 23, the command to rest and to let our animals and servants rest comes before the commands to celebrate. God's concerned for all of creation finding rest. My dad is a crop and soil scientist uh, and he taught for 40 years at Michigan State on forage crops and rotational grazing. Incidentally, Dave's dad taught the same thing at Cornell, and they knew each other professionally before we even had met each other. Weird story. You can ask me about it sometime. Well, rotational grazing is an organized method of livestock grazing. The desired outcomes resulting from this method are to decrease labor and feed costs, as well as promote flock, grazing flock health and performance. The benefits of rotational grazing are shown through increased productivity and improved utilization of the land. This is the weird paradox of resting. When we rest, we actually become more productive. Like the Israelites, God wants to show us a different way to live, a way that demonstrates to us that Jesus is the one who's able to give us rest. It's a sign to others that the people who follow Jesus are different. What would it be like if people said, oh my gosh, Christians are some of the most peaceful, kind, celebratory folks I've met. Those are not words I have used to heard used to describe Christians much in the last couple of years. They're able to trust God even in crazy circumstances. 
they make space in their lives to actually listen to people and respond to their needs. They take naps. When they have parties, it's to celebrate, not to impress others or out of obligation. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and he's the example of rest and provider of rest. I want to invite you today to declare your freedom from what enslaves you and accept Jesus' gift of rest. Before I pray, I want to invite you just to take a 30-second Sabbath. And this is something you can do during the course of the week. So I want you to close your eyes and just take some deep breaths and invite the Holy Spirit to let your soul settle. Lord, we want to find our rest in you. Help us to trust you with the things that pursue us. Amen.